0: My name is Elizabeth Wilkes, and I am the children's director here at E3. And I have the pleasure um, of being with all of you guys this morning, the grown-ups. So thanks for having me. I'm glad to be in here with all of you. Sit on your bottoms, facing forward, all that good stuff. Um, welcome to the ninth week of our series, 12 Words where we've been unpacking some spiritual principles that we believe are fundamental to our faith in Christ. So if you look on the stage, you will notice these boxes up here are representatives of things that we carry. And when we sort through these things, it makes room for healthier um, practices and principles in our lives. So last week, Karen talked about resentment, which is right over here, some of you guys can see it, and how much it can weigh us down. When we're willing to sort through our resentment, we can move to a place of forgiveness. Now, a lot of transformation from resentment to forgiveness is really internal, personal work that we do in our own hearts and minds. But today, we're going to talk about something a little bit more interactive and external, and that is conflict. So I'm going to pause here and just acknowledge anyone who may have had a visceral reaction to this, because I know conflict is uncomfortable. And that is OK. That is OK. Um, so conflict is uncomfortable, but it is also inevitable. And it's necessary. Conflict is challenging, but it always comes with opportunities to grow and to pursue peace and reconciliation. And my hope is that this morning, we may be able to think through the progression from conflict to reconciliation together. Now, there are a lot of ways to define conflict because It's a very complex and nuanced idea. So I took a look at some definitions this week, and I pulled some examples of what conflict can look like. So I'm going to read these, and I'm just going to let you latch on to whatever resonates with you personally. So conflict can be a serious disagreement or argument about something important, a state of mind in which you find it impossible to make a decision or move forward fighting between individuals or groups of people, or um, a serious difference between two or more beliefs, ideas, or interests. Now, the thought that I latched onto after looking at this was the idea of something being unresolved. Um, I had a really hard time limiting it any further, because really, (laughs) anything can be unresolved I have things that are unresolved in my mind, in my heart, in the physical world, even spiritually. Conflict can manifest itself in an unlimited number of ways. Sometimes we can address things within ourselves, but then sometimes further action is necessary for conflict to be resolved. I believe that by design, we are made to crave reconciliation. And that's exactly why conflict is so uncomfortable. Now, because conflict is so uncomfortable, um, it has the potential to be very emotional, even very destructive. And I felt like it was an important thing to include a public service announcement at the beginning. So I want you guys to all know that conflict is something that we handle with care. And it's my hope That the next time that any of you have a conflict, you'll remember me up here holding this box, reminding you to handle conflict with care and forcing you to watch the following advertisement. Look at this. Welcome to the Handle with Care packaging store, where for over 25 years, we've specialized in all of your packaging and shipping needs. From furniture shipping to estate that. distribution, from carefully packaging antiques to creating oh, right. fine art, you can trust the packaging professionals Looks at like the they Packaging are handling Store. It with right there. We'll pick up from your home or office, pack using a variety of methods and materials, and deliver to your destination. The music is the best part. It really kicks up the in a second. So whether you need it there tomorrow or next week, here we go. where do you go for help? Go Packaging Store. There's no shipping challenge we can't solve. Just say so you no. Know, I don't know the, like, don't call them, please. Here we go. All right. Okay. So, I'm a very experiential person, so that could have not been helpful for any of you guys. At the very least, I figure it'll be a reminder, and you'll think of how ridiculous I am. But for me, it's really helpful to build in like sensory things into my life. So like the next time I have a conflict, I'm gonna be like And I'm gonna to remember to handle conflict with care. If you remember nothing else this morning, please remember that. Conflict is something that we handle with care. Why do we handle conflict with care? Because it has the potential to be a mess, and because it can be messy, we might not want to deal with it, and we might even believe things about it that are untrue. So um, the next thing I want to do, there's a guy um, named Nate Rieger, and he speaks a lot about leadership. He has a great book called Conflict Without Casualties. Check it out if you want. Um, And he unpacks four conflict myths that I believe can be helpful for us. So we're going to take a look at those really quick. Myth number one, peace is the absence of conflict. So this just isn't true. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. Peace is an active and dynamic process that demands conflict, healthy conflict. If peace means we're getting along, cooperating, and not hurting each other, we cannot get there without addressing our differences and disagreements first. Myth number two, conflict is destructive. Conflict definitely can be destructive, but conflict creates energy, and that energy can either be constructive or destructive. Myth number three... Conflict needs to be minimized, managed, and controlled. Good luck with this. (laughs) If you figure that out, let me know, okay? Um, The problem with conflict reduction, mediation, and management philosophies is that they make conflict out to be the culprit. Conflict isn't. Conflict is the, the source of the energy. It's not the culprit. It's not the problem itself, okay? Conflict creates the energy, and the real pr- problem is the casualties caused by misusing that energy, failing to channel it into something productive. Myth number four, compassion is an anecdote to conflict. So many people believe that compassion is all about empathy, Sympathy, caring, support, doing good for others. But the word compassion is actually derived from the Latin word compati. Um, My Latin teacher from high school is going to be so proud of me, wherever she is right now. It comes from the Latin word compati, which means suffer with. So compassion definitely includes a heartfelt care for others, but it's translated into co-suffering. So compassion really means getting in the trenches with someone, suffering together, sharing in the difficult task of creating something through conflict. Jesus speaks to this idea of leaning into conflict in our text today. And here's what he says in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, You must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If people slap you on your right cheek, you must turn the left cheek to them as well. When they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat too. When they force you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to those who ask, and don't refuse those who wish to borrow from you. So, let's unpack this a little bit. Jesus starts by acknowledging the existing expectation, okay? In Jewish law, equal retribution was was the law. That was the standard, okay? So right off the bat, Jesus is teaching people, and he's saying, hey, you know that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing? Yeah, that. Let's take it and throw it out the window, okay? That's what Jesus does. And then he goes on to lay out three examples of conflict, he presents some extraordinary ways to respond to what were very ordinary situations at the time. So first he says, if people slap you on your right cheek. This is a very physical, primal interaction we're talking about here. If I had never heard this scripture before and somebody was like, hey, so you get slapped, what are you going to do? I'd be like, well... I guess I can do one of two things. I could, I could just let them hit me. I could run away. Or I could hit them back, right? Okay, so second example Jesus gives is this. When they haul you to court to take your shirt. Again, I'm thinking in my mind, well, I, I could let them take my shirt or I could take their shirt. That seems fair. Finally, Jesus says, when they force you to go one mile. All right, just going to tell you, I don't want to walk further than I have to. <laughs> so, <laughs> if someone's like, "You're gonna walk a mile with me," I'll be like, "Okay, sure. Um, I'm only gonna walk as little as I have to, or I'm gonna make. If I have to walk with that person, they're they're gonna now have to walk with me for sure." And these these instincts that we have to either avoid conflict, or to seek retaliation are the essence of human nature, okay? Take a look at this picture with me. It's called the slippery slope of conflict. Um, yeah, and when we are faced with conflict, our response is going to fall somewhere on this slippery slope, okay? As human beings, we're typically going to have an instinct to fall on the left or the right side of the slope. So on the left side, we have escape responses. We tend to use these responses when we are more interested in avoiding a conflict than resolving it. I know none of you know anything about that, Okay. So one example of an escape response is denial. So this would be where somebody ignores a conflict, they pretend it doesn't exist, or they just flat out refuse to resolve it, Okay. On the left side, we have attack responses. We tend to use these responses when we are more interested in winning a conflict than in preserving a relationship. So assault would be considered an attack response. If someone were trying to overcome an an opponent through force or intimidation, that would be assault. That would be an attack response. Okay. So, these extreme responses to conflict usually end up resulting in greater relational losses because the conflict is either going to remain unresolved or it's going to escalate further. What Jesus does in his examples is present an entirely new and even unnatural response to conflict. He says, If people slap you on your right cheek, you must turn your left cheek to them as well. Now, in ancient times, when someone slapped you with the back of their hand, this was considered a sign of disrespect. So you would only backhand somebody of a lower status position like a slave. If you hit somebody um, with a closed fist or with the palm of your hand... You would do this, this would represent a conflict that you were having with an equal. Okay? So, if you turned your cheek after being backhanded, the other person is now forced to respond to you as their equal with either the clenched fist or the palm of their hand. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not saying stay in a violent or abusive situation, but he is saying, Make an attempt to interact on a human level. And this can actually be a really empowering thing, right? Because if someone backhands me and my instinct is to escape or attack, but instead I turn the other cheek, now if they hit me, it will have to be as their equal. So (laughs) I'm forcing them to see me as a human being we have to see the humanity in each other to move towards reconciliation the next thing Jesus says is when they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt let them have your coat too so at this time somebody could attempt to acquire someone's inner garment but they couldn't try to take their outer garment like in court so Somebody wouldn't even be able to take your coat. That's, like, not a thing, okay? So when Jesus says, give them your coat, this is a radical act of reconciliation. Finally, Jesus says, when they force you to go one mile, go with them two. Roman soldiers back then were allowed to just ask anybody, like, to carry their pack for them. So you could be doing anything, and they could stop and say, hey, carry my bag down the road for me a mile. It was kind of an an oppressive thing, right? So (laughs) you can imagine the impact it would have for someone in that situation to say, you know what, not only am I going to carry your pack a mile, I'm going to carry it a second mile. Think about how the soldier might respond to this. Again, it's a display of humanity and an invitation into interaction. Jesus is giving a new option. He's not saying escape, and he's not saying attack. Jesus is saying you are empowered as a human being to engage in conflict in a way that honors everyone and promotes reconciliation. This is why he came, guys, right? Jesus humbled himself so that we may be reconciled with God the Father. And if this is who we follow, then we are to use conflict as a pathway to reconciliation. You want to know what I did earlier? Conflict, handle with care. We'll see if I can do it. Hey, reconciliation. Reconciliation. Party tricks are a bonus at the 11. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Oh, man. That wasn't smart. I lost my place. (laughs) Jesus is giving us this new option. Yes, he is. All right. How do we do this? How do we navigate this pathway from conflict to reconciliation? Um, Let's take a look at our slope again, okay? Here's our slippery slope. Jesus calls us to be... Yeah. Jesus calls us to be somewhere in between the two responses. In this middle section, you will see peacemaking responses. And I believe that all three examples in today's texts um, are peacemaking responses. So I don't have time to go into, like, every response, but I do want to point something out to you because I love this stuff, and I think it's cool. This whole thing, this whole picture here is a continuum. So the peacemaking responses that are closer to the escape responses are more personal approaches that an individual would take to peacemaking. And this makes sense because escape responses are very isolating actions that we take. But there are instances where peacemaking is more of an an individual act. So these could be situations where we have conflict within ourselves or where it's not possible or safe for us to have an interactive exchange with someone. Now, the closer we get to the attack side, the peacemaking responses become more and more interactive, and this makes sense because an attack, by definition, is involving more than one party, right? So, an example for this would be accountability, okay? It's a peacemaking response that's very mutual and interactive way to make peace. Earlier, I said that conflict can manifest itself in an unlimited way. Number of ways. What I like about this is it reminds me, it's a visual, that conflict can also be reconciled in an unlimited number of ways. Don't forget that the responses that Jesus presented to conflict were totally unheard of ways to reach reconciliation. I think sometimes we get stuck and we're afraid that we might make things worse or that there's no hope for reconciliation. We don't know where to start. So we give in to that urge to escape or attack. But when we remember what Jesus said, we remember that all it takes is one simple act, right? To move to reconciliation. I'm a human being. You're a human being. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to attack you. I'm just going to be here with you, choosing to engage and honor you as a fellow human being. Let's talk about what this might look like by replacing some of our myths from earlier with conflict truths, okay? So I'm going to read each truth and then I'm going to give uh, an example uh, because none of this is any good if we can't walk out of here and apply it to our own lives, okay? So truth number one, peace is a result of conflict, okay? We find peace through conflict. We can't go around the conflict or pretend that it's not there. We have to interact with it, okay? There we go. Now we're back where we belong. We have to interact with it. Peace is actually a great indicator of where you are with conflict, okay? Because if you don't have peace about something, if you're not at peace with someone, there's likely some reconciliation that needs to take place. This truth shows up for me in my close relationships all the time. Um, If I find myself agitated with somebody and those feelings... Um, result, if I find myself agitated and those feelings revolve around a particular person or a particular situation, there's usually something there going on that needs to be reconciled. In these situations, I try to ask myself, what is it that is upsetting me? Where are these feelings coming from? I have to acknowledge that first before I can have a productive interaction with another person. I don't have control over how another person may respond. Newsflash, neither do you. So, my peace, our peace, cannot be dependent upon another person's response to the conflict. When I focus on myself, the other person is more likely to see the humanity in me that we talked about. Then, with humility, there can be a mutual exchange where both parties have the opportunity to experience reconciliation with themselves and with the other person. An interaction like this could be as simple as me going, hey, so I've been upset ever since our meeting the other day. I thought about it. And when you said, let's make sure everyone has an opportunity to speak, I took that personally. Because I know that sometimes I can get really enthusiastic, and I'm actually kind of insecure about that when I'm in a group setting. The other person might respond and say something like, wow, thanks for letting me know, Liz. I value what you have to say. I just wanted to make sure I had a chance to hear other ideas as well. I didn't mean to hurt you. Sometimes reconciliation is that simple. But of course, other times, it's not. Which brings us to truth number two. Conflict has the potential to be destructive. Conflict is not in itself destructive, but it does have the potential to be destructive. PSA reminder time. That's why we handle conflict with care, right? Because it can be destructive. Okay, So conflict can be destructive, even dangerous. One thing to keep in mind is that you shouldn't engage in an interaction if it's going to be harmful to you or to another person. If you're not sure if you should initiate reconciliation, ask somebody that you trust. Talk about it. Think through the potential outcomes or impacts. You do not have to put yourself in harm's way. So how would you reconcile a potentially destructive situation? One thing that I've done personally is prepare myself for a conversation that I may never have. I've gone so far as to, like, actually script it out. So it's in my head, and I've done all that I can do to get to a place of reconciliation, and I'm able to leave it there. This has helped me get to a place of peace, knowing I've done all I can do to achieve reconciliation. So this is obviously, like, an intense type of conflict I'm referring to. But even in less intense conflicts, um, you still have the opportunity to cause harm. Earlier this week, I was frustrated. And I went to town crafting what I believed was a very well-thought-out, insightful email of all my thoughts and feelings. And then, boom, I sent it. And I immediately felt relieved, guys. I was like, felt really good to get that off my chest. And a few hours later, I checked my email. There's no response. The next morning, no response. That afternoon, no response. So finally, I make a phone call. Hey, just curious, did you get my email? <laughs> and the other person was like, yeah, I did. And immediately, I could sense hurt in this interaction. And they went on to say, you know, I really wish you would have had a conversation with me. And I was immediately convicted about it. The person wasn't trying to make me feel guilty, but I just knew at that moment that I had acted selfishly. I was just looking for a quick way to unload my frustration. And I didn't wait for that frustration to subside. And I chose not to have an interaction, but instead to just fire off a manifesto of my feelings. And I said, I'm sorry. You're right. I should have waited, and I should have had a conversation with you. Luckily, this wasn't a huge conflict, but you guys get the idea. If it were bigger or more of an intense conflict, it would have had the potential to be a big mess, to be more destructive is why we handle conflict with care, right? Truth number three, conflict needs to be acknowledged, engaged, and released. So sometimes we can have a major conflict in our life that comes and goes, and we might think, oh, I've missed my opportunity to resolve that. There are all kinds of things that we end up holding on to for a long time just because We're used to it now, right? Until, and we think that like, oh, maybe it's gone. Until something happens that reminds you of it, right? That reminds you of that conflict. So I have a friend who is married. um, And a few years ago, she was telling me the story of how she got married. And she shared with me that at the time that she got married, um, her family wasn't supportive of her getting married. And she couldn't bear the thought of having a wedding without her family. So they got married legally, but she never had a wedding. And at this point of the story, when she was telling me, I could tell that she got emotional. And I said something like, um, why can't you have a wedding? And I remember telling her, I was like, you know, you're going to have a wedding anniversary every year, like, You're going to go to other weddings. You're going to think about this, and it's going to keep hurting, right? You're going to have to stay in that place of conflict. So I remember saying, like, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you might want to consider how you might be able to reconcile this at some point. And to be honest, I haven't thought that much about the conversation since then, but I've seen my friend grow and evolve and address other areas of reconciliation in her life. And then just a few weeks ago, she let me know, for our fifth anniversary, I'm planning my wedding. (laughs) I just thought, like, I was already preparing for this teaching. So first of all, it was like, I'm going to use that as an example, if, if you will allow me to. But secondly, I thought, what a beautiful way to acknowledge and address conflict. What an amazing representation of reconciliation. You don't have to live with conflict forever. There are unlimited ways to pursue reconciliation. The final truth is compassion can complicate conflict. Now, remember our definition of compassion. Compassion means to suffer and struggle with. And I think we associate compassion with love because the people that we love are usually the people that we are committed to struggling and suffering with. This type of conflict is, also, is um, often really deep, really complex. And the best example I can think of to explain this is to describe my relationship with my brother. So if you know me, then you know that my younger brother struggled with drug addiction from the time he was an adolescent um, until about 10 months ago when he overdosed. Now, my brother is two and a half years younger than me, so I don't really have any memories that don't include him prior to 10 months ago. He's just such an integral part of who I am. And so even when I tried, there was just no way that I could possibly separate myself with his struggle, from his struggle. The amount of conflict that I have experienced with him is just immeasurable. And there's no easy way to fix it. I can't have a face-to-face interaction with him. And if I could, I don't know that it would be productive. I will always have so many intense feelings associated with him. And I don't know what reconciliation would look like, even if he were here, okay? But I do believe that even now, Jesus calls me to lean into this conflict. Because I believe that when I lean into it, I'm modeling the reconciliation that Jesus taught about. So I talk about my brother, and when he makes me happy, I smile and I laugh. And when I'm sad about it, I cry. (laughs) And I go to grief counseling, and I have somebody who knows better than me help me navigate this path of reconciliation because it is so complicated the more love and compassion that there is, the more complicated the conflict. We might have things that we will have to continue reconciling for the rest of our lives. But I really believe that if Jesus gave his very life to reconciliation, then we are called to do the same. If we want to become like Jesus, then we must engage with conflict and pursue reconciliation. If you're believing a myth about conflict, confront that. Think through the ways that you could creatively explore the truths about conflict and hopes of rest, uh, reconciliation. If you identify with one of those extreme responses of escaping or attacking, consider that, consider what peacemaking responses might look like in your life. The next time you're faced with a conflict, remember the reconciliation that Jesus taught. And I'm going to leave you with one final thought. Usually, the things that we handle with care are things that are the most valuable, right? They're things that are fragile. They're things that could break and make a mess. But they're also the things that hold the most value. And conflict is valuable because it leads to reconciliation. Will you guys pray with me?